Welcome to the very first episode of House of Nako. I'm your hostess with the mostest Nako here, and I'm super excited about this podcast because it feels so good to be back in the saddle. That's right. I ran a blog and a podcast. The blog was Nightly Candy, and the podcast was Nightly Candy Chat, and that was from about 2008 to 2010. It was an awesome experience to be a pioneer in the podcast terrain. It was new territory back then, and I learned so much along the way. However, in 2010, my life took an upswing turn when I met and the next year married my amazing, awesome husband. And for the past couple of years, you know, married life takes your life in a totally different direction. And we launched a business or several businesses, and we've been focused on, you know, cultivating those. However, once you are in the podcast terrain and you love it, I feel like it'll always be a part of you. So recently, for the past six months, it was kind of inside of me, and my husband could see it, but I wasn't really pointing it out and and working on it it was just almost like I was having a podcast with him he would come home from work and I would bombard him with all of the interesting tidbits that I saw that were trending and all this interesting information that I was finding out and it was so probably overwhelming for him and he's like you know you need to get back in this podcast because this is great what you're sharing with me but it needs to be shared with more than just me so here we are, first episode of House of Nako. And just like how there's different areas of your house and all of those compartments make up your shelter, that's what House of Nako is going to be. We're going to give you, we're not just from the same topic. It's not just going to be about trending political topics in the U.S. or the global world at large we're going to be talking about music fashion tv what's popping on netflix relationships love self-help and so much more uh so stick around thanks for listening Here with my guest Daria in the studios at fifteen fifteen Broadway. Thank you so much for joining us here this evening. Happy to be here. That's right. We're happy to have an expert in the world of philanthropy and giving to shed some light on our next topic of conversation here, which is 
uh, basically focusing on the fact that as the Notre Dame burned, which it didn't burn to the ground, let's remind everyone, um, it was already in reconstruction mode and they were able to save a lot. And clearly they're going to rebuild it very quickly because they have billions of dollars to do it because in 24 hours or probably less, $1 billion was raised. Now, this was mostly from French aristocrats and billionaires. Oui, c'est correct. Um, but still, I know that I did read in um, the press that our president did offer like support and... And when you say support, that means like financial in some way to France to also help with the restoration, which was like, excuse me, like, how is this possible that in our own country, like the levels of homelessness and poverty, like even though they say the economy is, you know, on the up and up or that, you know, jobs and all of this, they give us all these reports, but here living in New York, or even people, it's all around this country, but in New York City, for example, because that's where we're at, you see the level of like homelessness and the effects of homelessness, like drugs, um, is also apparent. Um, and that's also around the country. And when you see that and you hear about the uh, situations like in Flint, Michigan where there's a water crisis that I believe this year it's either the fourth or fifth year that uh, it was first like at least divulged to the world to the nation and the world that there's lead and other chemicals poisoning the water and killing literally these residents and our government has the capacity to assist and to help but they rather delegate money to, you know, other things like the military industrial complex. But that's a topic for another day. But really what we brought Daria here to discuss are like the issues, like let's say if a billion dollars was given to, um, you know, whatever charity of your choice, a charity that like deals with, the human condition like what are the main issues that that money could like service like what what where is our our dollars and our attention and our compassion needed cuz you know that working in this field yeah that's a that's a great it's a great question um i think uh based on my like personal experience with some of these issues um i think water is you know the number one leading reason why um especially with like children's mortality rates in a lot of countries is just like no access to clean water i mean if we take it a step further we can look at what's the cause and source of the denial of access of that mm. um because Improving sanitation facilities is actually relatively inexpensive, um, and communities have water. They just don't have means to purify it. Mm. Um, so really, you know, a lot of it does come back to the stuff you were talking about, where it's a lot about power struggles. It's about, you know, um, military kind of flexing, <laughs> um, but that would be one place. And then I think, um, 
Like another place would just be in economic empowerment of communities that are suffering from having a means to empower themselves. So a lot of um, charities that I really love, what they'll do is they'll, you know, teach a vocational skill to community members so that they're able to then get on their own two feet, make some sort of nominal income initially, and then be able to save something minimal, um, but to be able to qualify for microcredit loans within their communities and then become financially independent. From there, they become decision makers. Mm. Um, So a lot of, um, just in terms of their communities as well. Um, So it has a lot to do with giving voice in ways that are sustainable within communities. Um, Obviously, education is huge, right? Yeah. Um, But there are a lot of things like basic necessities that are, um, I think, logically prior. Um, But it's also like a weird cycle. So it's kind of like basic necessities will, these communities will have access to that if they are economically empowered. They're not economically empowered. And so like what came first, the chicken or that? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I think that a lot of it just has to do with the extension of basic civil rights in terms of like food and water and shelter. And then the extension of, you know, some sort of like economic empowerment within these communities vocationally um, where they're like contributing and able to gain from the communities that, you know, like really impoverished communities are the most susceptible to violence in these communities, mm-hmm. but it comes from a place of desperation. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it would like obviously decrease exploitation within those communities as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So one question. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, those are the main mm-hmm. things I can like cornerstone. So what question that was like looming in my head as I was listening to your answer, which was great, by the way, mm-hmm. um, just is like what beyond like having compassion for your fellow man which I think should be the only reason as to what would motivate somebody especially someone who has the the economic means mm-hmm. you know to because especially uh, for in France for example with the Notre Dame giving especially like you know, the aristocrats and the, you know, the top 10 of 1% of, you know, the population that owns all the wealth just got, like, some huge tax break on top of this. So it's, like, you, this is not, like, something that you would be, like, giving, like, oh, I'm giving up, like, food that's going to go out of my, like, children's, you know, mouths. This is coming out of excess, you know. And so that makes it even more like, okay, there have been, like, there's humanitarian suffering in your own country. Like, people have been, like, protesting because of, you know, unfair labor laws and, like, just lack of being able to live. I mean, that's the whole thing that's going on around the world. And 
there is a class of people that have like so much wealth they have it in abundance like there's no way that like within 10 lifetimes they'd be able to like spend this amount of wealth and the amount of like you know, like here in this country, when you talk about taxing the rich, they get so like, Whoa, we can't let go of our, you know, ducats, like, no, no, no. Like, what can, I, I feel like because there's such a, these, you know, things like race and color and caste, like keep these divides, you know, with people so they feel like so disconnected like oh well that's them and we're here but in actuality we there we are all connected like those things are just social constructions and like at the end we are all human beings so regardless of how much money you have and whatever high castle you can build it in you will still be affected by you know this person here in the 99% who like has had their home foreclosed on and like has no place to go like that still does come to affect you in some way mm -hmm. i don't know how but it does sure you know sure. what i mean so yeah. how do we convince my i guess my whole like soapbox where the my point is this is or my question to you is like how do we get those individuals to like see the interconnectedness or like care mm -hmm. on on that level like how how does you talked about like um these uh places that don't have access and they need you know education and all of this stuff how do you convince you know someone with the dollars to give that that not only impacts them but these people that need it but it also impacts you as well mm -hmm. like beyond giving you that warm feeling inside mm -hmm. yeah that is a great question um I think like oh so for me that's personally um and I think like kind of what you're getting at is perhaps for you too is that if you think about how we understand um human 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 beings like, do we understand human beings as being individuals who interact in a society? Or do we view human beings as social beings who then are now within a society able to express their individualism? Mm -hmm. And I think in the United States, and, you know, many, like, philosophers have, like, talked about this, where it's like, we have an atomistic view of humanity where it's like we are individuals and we come together and in a society so what's logically prior is our atomism our individuality um and then the me first and then the we um or is it the we first and then from the we like when i have you know other philosophers talk about this too like anytime i have like a disconnect from like the social norms and something that I'm feeling or experiencing, that's when my me comes out, mm -hmm. right? And is expressing itself as individuated. And I think at the end of the day, it doesn't matter um, which way we view it, like what's first. I think people always want to talk about what's first because then that's what they prioritize and their values will show that. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at the end of the day, based on what you're saying and kind of how I feel about it too, whereas it doesn't matter. Mm. Um, and at the end of the day, that interconnectedness exists. Um, and it's really about boiling down to, is that then um, enough for us to just take care of each other? You know, I'm, some people talk about this a lot where, you know, if, if a kid is drowning right in front of your eyes, would you have a moral obligation to save that child? Mm. Most people are going to say, like, yeah, you know, <laughs> like you should probably drop what you're doing and like go save the kid. <laughs> like it's happening in, in, front, in front of your of eyes. You, yeah. Um, and then the, we can ask the same question is that if a kid is drowning let's say in Bangladesh or like in Indonesia or in Ecuador um, and we have the means to help them, right? So it's not like, oh, they're so far, we don't have the means to help them. We have the means to help save that kid from drowning. Do we now have a moral obligation to save that kid? And I think what's surprising is that it becomes much more gray, um, and when, when we actually talk to people, is they like, if a kid is drowning in India, do, and if I have the means, right, let's just presuppose that, do I still have the same moral obligation? There's something about um, next to-ness mm-hmm. <laughs> or like immediacy um, that makes people feel more compelled to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at the end of the day, like, I don't know. I always find it really interesting. It's like, oh, well, we have a problem here before I can fix any problem outside of here. You know, I need to fix the problem here. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I don't know how I, f- I... Personally, I don't know, like, what I think about it. I think that we... we, I think it's a limitation in terms of our lenses, in terms of how far we're willing to look to, ex- to experience that kind of connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really just about levels. And so I think that's kind of why I said about the whole, like, how do you view society, individual mm-hmm. first and then social, or yeah. social first and then individual, because that's going to decide whether I take care of me and my own and my this and my everything first and then everything else or whatever, or the other way around. Or there's, like, a third option where it's, like, all of that is, like, some sort of perspective thing, mm-hmm. and it really maybe doesn't matter. Yeah. And that these boundaries are social constructs and as constructs anyway. Yeah. So are nations. True. You know, um nations are social constructs too. Yeah. Um and so like what's the common denominator? Humanity. And so at the end of the day, I think that's why um when people connect to that, it 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 doesn't matter. It's about um you know, impact really. That, like, if I can have an impact, why would I not? Given that we are, we are all connected, you know? And I think, like, I don't know, I don't know if I even answered your question in terms of how to get people to care. I don't know if it helps to kind of dissect how we view, like, what our worldview is to even decipher where our values are coming from. Yeah. Um, But I think if we take, and I always think about it this way, right? Like, say, like, you, like, look at all the colors in this room, right? So there's, like, grays and whites and 
um, some blues and some um, brown. If we were to zoom far out enough to where these individuated colors just melded together to mm -hmm. make one color, maybe we'd see what? Like a light gray? Probably. Probably? Yeah. And if we zoomed out even further, you know, way past this building, perhaps way like a little bit out of New York, <laughs> what would we see this blob be? Yeah. And maybe like an orange or something like of the lights in the building would be like an orange and amongst a dark sky. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's kind of what I'm talking about, where it's like we're zoomed in to our specific worldviews. Um, and we couple that with like an entitlement to something or I worked and, and this me and the others and this all this individuation. And I think that if we just zoom out far enough, it's just one blobby color. Yeah, no. <laughs> and I think that when it comes analogy. to making an impact, if we zoom out far enough and just take care of what we can take care of, um, from taking care of the environment, like basically creating maximum impact, making the world work for the most people possible mm -hmm. with minimum collateral damage, minimum collateral damage to other people, to other living organisms, to animals, to the environment. How can we minimize the collateral damage and maximize making this world work for people? And I think there's, I don't know, some people might have criticisms to that, but I think social, I know a lot of people would have criticisms to that, but I think that understanding that we're connected and that we want to make this work, um, if we strip down everything else, like what else is there left to do but to help? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I think you that answered it. That was really long-winded, but. No, I think, I mean, I think you dissected it really um, perfectly that it needs to be stripped down to that level. I think I said it in the beginning that it was about like this can be described about like humanness so um, I thank you for giving that perspective and your expertise in um, fundraising and the not-for-profit sector. Again we've been graced with the presence of Daria here <laughs> in wonderful Manhattan. The sun is now setting. Russiagate and Trump 2020. Unfortunately, those two things are indelibly linked and there's a lot of people to blame for that. However, at the top of the list is the corporatist major news outlets, whether it's TV or print, for the past two or three years have been telling the public and sharing with the public that there is hardcore evidence that the 45th president lied and stole the election from Hillary Clinton by working with Vladimir Putin or Putin being his puppet, however, or not Putin being his puppet, but uh, Trump being the puppet of Putin. However you want to look at it, there was a consisted and very um, thought out 
plan to steal the election with the help of the Russians through hacking, through whatever means. And there's evidence for that. And because of that, he should be impeached and will be impeached. That has been the storyline on many news outlets for the past two or three years. And then with this release of this report and Mueller, who was supposed to be a plus and full of integrity and he's going to give us what we need to know and his report basically was saying you know to sum it up and I did not read the whole report no I did not because the focus of my work is not specifically on this topic however there are individuals independent journalists who specialize who have been for the past two or three years you know, reading every single document that became available. So I have been following those journalists and extracting from them, from the, the report. And I know that there are many things that point to, you know, kind of nefarious activities uh, with uh, Mr. Trump. It doesn't paint him in some like amazing light where he's oh yes, it looks like I'm a saint. However, the report was supposed to give those hard facts so that our Congress can do its job and move forward with removing this president and putting, you know, uh, and going through the notion, I guess Mike Pence would be, uh, or is that even true? Would the vice Oh, yeah, I believe that it is because with Nixon, I mean, Ford was his vice and, you know, well, he resigned, though, but I will have to check to see if a president is impeached. Is his whole cabinet like erased or is it just him? But regardless, he would have been removed from office because colluding with another government to try and steal, even though (laughs) even though this country is very, very, very guilty. And that's another topic for another day of interfering in elections overseas so that it can benefit them at the end. But that's another story. We're talking about the Mueller report and the whole notion that the president, before he was president, instead of campaigning and running a honest campaign, went and lied and stole and cheated his way through it. Elizabeth Warren makes this public, you know, uh, decree that Trump should be impeached. And where are her sisters and brothers in Senate backing her up? And why isn't this impeachment process taking place? The only thing that I can deduce is that there is no hard evidence Because if there was, the way that they want to get this man out so badly, they would go and do it. But that's not happening. (laughs) So we have to use our common sense instead of, and many people are, because a lot of these top rated shows like Rachel Maddow and Chris Hayes and all these NBC shows that have been spinning Russiagate in all different types of ways, I know that their ratings have gone down and independent journalists like Jimmy Dore and Kyle Galinsky have, these are people with YouTube shows that you should definitely check out. I'm saying that because there is no hard evidence, 
or unless they are waiting for it to spring it out at another point. But I would think this is the time to unveil your nuggets if you have them and take this man out. If I mean, take him out of office, go through and impeach. We have, you know, laws in place, the Constitution. We have a system in place for this. If there was, you know, evidence that our leader was guilty of, you know, some heavy things that are going to negatively impact not just this country, but the world at large. And... There has not been the start of this process. They are doing, you know, a lot of scrutiny of Barr and scrutiny of Mueller and people, all these people who are connected to this investigation. However, the main scope was to gather the evidence and show the American people that this is what your president did and this is why he has to be removed. And that hasn't happened. And because it hasn't happened and the stories are still taking center stage, there are other things that have gone on for the past two years that have come under this administration that should have been reported on to the people in this country because those are things that affect us directly but we're not getting that news because you insist on reporting on all of these you know stories and things that turn out not to be true and hunches and things that people told somebody else and the facts are not there and we are the ones or the the individuals who don't understand that you're being fed a narrative internalize that and aren't hearing the information that they need to hear which is the purpose or the true purpose of journalism but because the mainstream media is bought and paid for by I mean let's just face it it's the military industrial complex but it's we're being fed information that they want us to process, not the information that's actually out there. You're only really going to get that from a news outlet that is not a part of the conglomerate of like the seven or eight companies that are the owners of all of the news media in the United States. And that was a actually a bill or some type of legislature that came under President Clinton and gore they came up with this legislature to basically dwindle it down to just a handful you know to better control things and we're like yay clinton yay gore gore (laughs) anyway that's a topic for another show but yes so as i was saying before that there's been a lot of stuff that's gone on that this administration is responsible for that we as people who only who are only focused on major news media outlets haven't heard about and you need to know about it you need to go on uh not google (laughs) don't go on google um but go online however you want to go online and you know try to find out from independent news sources 
what's going what really has been going on besides this whole russia gate because let me tell you some stuff has been going on just last month the head of nato met with trump at the white house to basically discuss the spending on defense you know and how much money is being spent and more money more money more money that's what they're talking about and this is something that the american people should have known that all these hundreds of billions of dollars are being pledged you know for uh for this country in terms of defense like we should know those types of things but barely covered in the mainstream press and you know the head of nato uh his name his last name is stoltenberg he said during a press conference that we also strongly believe that it's important to support the u.s efforts to find a peaceful solution to the crisis or the war in afghanistan we support that and then we're also seeking closely together with you in the way we respond to Russia. We see that Russia has violated the INF Treaty and NATO allies have supported the U.S. position on that strongly throughout the whole process, end quote. So this was really huge, big topics they're talking about that we as people should be concerned about, should be voicing our opinions about, about how much money is being spent on defense and can some of that be rolled back to help improve our country yes i think a lot of people would have opinions on that but it's not being shared with you also in case you missed it trump pulled out of the paris climate accord that's not good because climate change is real trump pulled out of the iran nuclear deal okay that was big but russiagate was all you could hear about He's been cutting taxes for wealthy people. What else is new? And corporations. An all-out assault on the healthcare system. And all of these things affect working class people. Because when the wealthy corporations and the top 10 of 1% gets their tax cuts, it falls on the backs of people that are working hard every day. And a lot of them more than one job. So this does, those things do affect you. And you should be looking to journalists to give you correct information and not a pre-written narrative. And it's just ironic and actually sad that the news media that is supposed to be, you know, resisting Trump is actually doing Trump a huge favor exactly how he got into this position in the first place getting all that media attention once again they are handing him an election for 2020 a landslide I'm sure I don't like saying that but my goodness if the only thing you're going to ignore all of these other very important things that affect the populace and focus on this one thing that has not has failed to bear the fruit that you promised it was going to bring. Then, of course, Trump is he's already declared this to be a victory when the Mueller report uh, surfaced and was released. 
and his supporters most definitely see it as a victory and it's almost like you created him to be teflon what can stick to him and the corporatist news media that claims to just hate him so much and can't stand him but they are creating and propelling him while they continue to propagate a at this point it's a story i mean if there isn't something you know to concretely go through the impeachment process then it is not obviously enough to remove him from office and continuing to you know harp on this narrative is not helping to make voters you know not vote for Trump it's putting his you know name into the consciousness like every second and that is what will propel him up like because the more people are concentrated on him the more people are talking about him that is how he gets more popular and that's how he gets reelected, unfortunately and one of the biggest proponents of the Russiagate theory was Miss Rachel Maddow on her show for over two years you know she has been promising her viewers that the evidence is coming it's coming it's with this report it's coming and we're gonna get him and it has not come to uh come to pass obviously and instead of apologizing falling on her sword resigning she is steadily going and it's almost like (laughs) i mean it's I want to laugh at it. It's not funny, though. But some recent tweets, and it wasn't funny. I mean, there were few news outlets that picked up on it, mostly independent, that Rachel Matt, I mean, she just has, there's no shame. There's no uh, remorse or anything of that nature because she recently tweeted out, basically calling YouTube uh, supporters of Russian hacking (laughs) or she's alluding that you know YouTube is favoring Russia over her because Russia I mean not Russia because YouTube on their site was recommending an interview on RT to learn more about like the whole Russiagate issue and she got upset with that and tweeted about it and then so the interview on RT was with an independent journalist by the name of Aaron Mate and with Chris Hedges who hosts a show on RT and is an award-winning journalist formerly of the New York Times. Aaron Mate is an award-winning journalist as well and they had a great interview on RT which RT has a YouTube channel. It's on their YouTube channel. Uh, YouTube recommended that instead of Rachel Maddow's show because she has been propelling conspiracy theories. Like, basically, that's what, you know, what she has been doing on her show for the past two and a half, probably three years. So YouTube has a policy where 
they don't promote conspiracy theorists, which is why they took off Alex Jones and all these other people off of YouTube because they're not going to support that anymore. And Rachel Maddow falls under that. So she got mad and tried to come for Aaron Mate in a very roundabout way. But my boy Aaron Mate was like, what? I am not feeling that at all. So he eviscerated her on Twitter. I will include the link in our blog post so you can read the whole um, thing. But the tweet started off with uh, Rachel tweeting, death by algorithm, algorithm. YouTube recommended Russia today for understanding Mueller report. And she's tweeting actually a article on the Washington Post about the interview that Mate and Hedges had. So Aaron Mate rightfully responded with like hardcore facts and like a 12 point tweet that was just on point. I don't think she could responded to any of it and trying to call him a liar and say anything about him because everything that he said, he substantiated with facts. So, yeah, that kind of quieted down Miss Meadow. Um, yeah, and this is all, I believe, and many other people, other independent journalists have shared this opinion that all of this is going on in the corporatist news media because neoliberals cannot accept that Trump is president. (laughs) Like, really, that's what it breaks down. They just cannot accept it. It hurts them to the core. Just like in the same way that the, you know, Republicans and conservatives were just heartbroken over Obama. Like, it hurt their hearts. It hurt their souls. Like, the neoliberals claim to be so hurt by the fact that this man is in office and Hillary didn't win. And they don't want to have any type of self-reflection to look at, okay, other than blaming having a scapegoat, like, let's try and see, like, what what we could have done to, you know, add to this. You want to try and blame somebody else. And Russia becomes an easy scapegoat in these types of situations. There's been movies about it, a comedy, um, Canadian Bacon. is not about using Russia as a scapegoat. It's about the fact that Russia was used as a scapegoat too recently, so we need to come up with somebody else to blame, and they blame Canada. It's with the late John Candy. You can probably catch it on Prime or Netflix or one of those. It's definitely on Amazon Prime. There it is, man. Toronto. We really have to look at the facts and it's a hard, you know, nugget or a couple nuggets to swallow. But the 45th was elected not because of any flukes or any stealing or any collusion with Russian hacking and all of these, you know, things that they're uh, claiming. It is because the American people were fed up of being stepped on and beaten up and just at the end of their wits with eight years of the Obama administration. 
And that is what created the space for a spoiled TV game show host to win the election. And it was not the Russians. Because if it was, we would have already started the process. I don't know how long it takes to impeach the president, but it would, the process would be underway and we would all be aware of it. And right now, there's nothing going on. And I know that people are like, oh, Obama, Obama. He's still loved. He's still so popular. He's still flashing his Colgate smile and people are still just ooing and eyeing. And I get it. And it'll probably be like that. But the majority of people know they just don't want to say it because they lived it, you know, like and I'm somebody I will come out and say I voted for Obama twice. I fell for literally his singing and his dancing and his smile and his cute kids but all of that is an illusion and like illusions they fade away and I know that he presented himself as being a cool dude that drank beer and played basketball and listened to Jay-Z but how does that help us as a people ask yourself if you're lower middle class or middle class Ask yourself if you're not in that top 10 of 1%, which is basically the most of us, the 99%, right? So ask yourself how you flourished, how you and your family flourished during eight years of the Obama administration. Most of you will say you didn't. And this is not me having any, like, this is not personal. This is, this is dealing with facts. Obama himself said during his presidency in an interview with uh, Spanish television, Noticitas Univision, 23. He said, the truth of the matter is that my policies are so mainstream that if I had set the same policies that I had back in the 80s, I would be considered a moderate Republican. That is what Obama said himself. I actually have the audio for those of you who think I'm lying. The truth of the matter is, is that uh, my policies are so mainstream that, you know, if if I had said the same policies that I have back in the 1980s, uh, I'd be considered a moderate Republican. I mean, you know, uh, what I believe in is uh, a tax system that's fair. Uh, I don't think government can solve every problem. I think that we should make sure that we're helping young people go to school. We should make sure that our government is building good roads and bridges and hospitals and, and airports so that uh, you know, we have a good infrastructure. I do believe that uh, it makes sense that everybody in America, as rich as this country is, shouldn't go bankrupt because they get sick. Uh, so the things I believe in are things that I think most of your viewers believe in. Okay, so that was President Obama in his own words telling you that he's a moderate Republican and all the other stuff he said he believed in that's nice to say on TV, when you're on TV. But his policies did not back that up. Basically everything that he said in that short 50 second clip that he said he believed in, it didn't turn out to come to pass in his administration. Let's just do a small breakdown here. First of all, Obama was the only president to serve two complete terms with the nation at war. Let's just put that out there not something I fabricated. It's the truth. You can validate it for yourselves. Obama inherited two wars from the Bush administration. And he promised in his campaign to end the wars, end the wars, end the wars. 
He didn't end them. He extended them into seven, seven wars. President Obama did reduce the number of U.S. soldiers fighting in Afghanistan and Iraq, but he dramatically expanded the air wars and used special operation forces around the globe. In 2016, U.S. special operators could be found in 70% of the world's nations, 138 countries. And that is a 130% jump since the Bush administration. And most of these attacks were air attacks against Syria and Iraq. But U.S. bombs also rained down and killed thousands of people in Afghanistan, in Libya, in Yemen, in Somalia, in Pakistan. In those countries, when they see a picture of Obama's smiling face, they don't get excited. And they are cowering in fear because this is the man that dropped mad bombs and killed their families, if they're still even living, obviously. And... By the way, all of the that seven majority Muslim countries. And according to people that calculate these statistics, there's no way to really know how many people were killed. All they know is that it's in the thousands and thousands and thousands. But in July 2016, the U.S. government, because so many people put pressure on them, said, give us a number, give us a number. They said, oh, we killed 116 civilians in Pakistan, Yemen, and Somalia, and Libya between 2009 and 2015. And then journalists knew that that was absolutely false. Human rights advocates knew that that was absolutely false. The numbers were so low. So a London-based Bureau of Investigative Journalism tracked drone strikes uh, for years, and they said that the true figure was six times higher, like what they were alleging. And I'm sure it's even more than that. It's just devastating. Uh, what Libya used to be before U.S. forces went in, killed Gaddafi, and completely decimated that Libya was one of the most profitable and successful African countries. And now there's open slave trading in Libya that you can see on YouTube. I will not see any of that, but it is there for the viewing, for those of you who want to see and think that I'm just saying this just to say it, it's there. So yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. So, and more domestic, you know, situations giving bailouts to the banks, making sure they're okay, making sure Wall Street and Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan is good. But when there are thousands being displaced or about to be displaced with foreclosure, where was the bailout for those individuals? They didn't get bailed out. They got thrown out of their homes. Wide place foreclosure. There is still, I mean, this country is still... Uh, affected by that not the banks of course but you still go by in neighborhoods and see still mad for foreclosure signs in neighborhoods it, it i mean it's just sick sick and it's sad so i feel like until we can honestly look at what created the space for donald trump to be elected and get honest with that 
there's no way you can defeat him in 2020. You have to just, you know, give it up that you've already given it to him. So let's get real, let's get honest, and let's focus on the issues that are affecting all people in this country, not just, you know, the elite and the rich. We're talking about the working class, the working people that make up this country. And then we can actually start to make this country as great as the founders envisioned it to be and take that vision even further because their thinking was limited. We now have an expansion because we have technology and we have a better understanding of how to treat people, or at least some of us do. So that's what we need to do. the theme song from the hit TV sitcom, Frasier. Frasier was on the air for 11 seasons, which is definitely the sign of a very successful show. And like many successful shows in the 90s, they are as popular as, or the want for those shows and everything that was cool and hip in the 90s is now making a comeback into pop culture and TV is definitely one of the areas where we're seeing a resurgence of the 90s. So like Will and Grace, Murphy Brown, Full House, which is now Fuller House, and even the Connors, um, we're seeing a resurgence of interest in everything the 90s and Frasier definitely has been added to the list which I'm super excited about because I'm a huge Frasier fan. Now I wouldn't call myself a Frasier file or a cranophile or whatever the name is for the fan group. I just love a great sitcom that you can watch over and over again and the writing is so good that each time you watch it it's not exactly that it's new, but there it is in a way because there's things that you miss. There's innuendos. There's, you know, just something in the joke that you didn't hear, an inflection in the voice. And that's just a combination of fantastic writing and fantastic acting, which Frasier is a, a recipient of both. And... You can catch Frasier on, you can definitely catch clips of it on for free on YouTube, but they have full episodes that you can buy on YouTube, I just saw. But the way I watch Frasier is through Netflix, but I know it's also available on streaming devices like, or not devices, but streaming uh, on Amazon and on Hulu and probably several other places as well. But those are the ones I know about offhand. And like I said, there haven't been too many reboots that I was like super excited about. But when the news hit probably six months ago 
religious inklings of there's a Frasier reboot, you know, in the midst. I definitely got very excited about that. And as recently as in February of this year, Kelsey Grammer, who's the star of Frasier, or who was the star, uh, has been on the PR circuit talking and being interviewed about other projects that he's involved in but the question always comes up about Frasier and most of the time he gives like a very vague nonchalant answer but in February he was on the James Corden show Late Night with James Corden and he gave a little bit of a more in-depth answer so just take a listen to what he said the the, the first like principle is that it is a different story basically same same group of characters but in a different setting something has changed in their lives certainly john mahoney died uh, over a year ago and uh, we would probably deal with that a little bit uh, mm. dad being gone but uh the third act of fraser rather than trying to pick it up like willie sure. grace did right where they were yeah um so we're just exploring what that might be it could, could be in chicago he left for chicago before uh in the last episode of fraser and um uh, there seems to be some appetite for it. And, oh, for uh, sure. Definitely. Would he still be on the radio? So, uh, definitely, uh, there is appetite for it. You can hear it in that audience. And I am sure before they do any reboot, before any production company is going to throw any money into bringing back an old show, they're going to do lots and lots of market research to test the populace to see where their head's at. And I'm sure they have seen off the rails how much Frasier is being watched on streaming. So, of course, they wanted to go ahead with the decision. But according to a YouTube clip that Nerdist News put out in February as well, according to their research, they reported that the reboot, the Frasier reboot, was only going to have Kelsey Grammer. Now, if that was ever true, I cannot fathom how that idea like left that room of people and that that was going to be like, yeah, this is going to work. Like there is no way, like as great as Kelsey Grammer is, and I think he's a phenomenal actor. I've seen him do serious work before. So if he can do funny, he can do serious. I've seen, obviously he's done stuff that where he's not Frasier. Um, however, I don't, Frasier was an ensemble cast. Like the show would not have been as successful without the characters around him. So in essence, it truly is an ensemble show and you cannot have a successful reboot of Frasier and not have Niles, like, are you kidding? And not have, I mean, it's sad that um, uh, John Mulhaney, I think that's how you pronounce his name, unfortunately, he passed away uh, last year as Frasier. Um, John Mahoney, that's his name. And he passed away. But there are ways that we've seen on television where they can, you know, do memory scenes. They can remember, you know, what happened back in the day and still try to integrate him into the show. So I hope that they do something like that because... Uh, Marty Crane was such an integral part of the show. Eddie is no longer living. Um, 
I don't know if to get like another dog like Eddie and still act like Eddie's still around is really uh, going to really fly. But it would be good if there was like some other pet or they got another dog and named it like Eddie Jr. Something like that just to pay homage because Eddie, it, whose real name was Moose was a real part of the show I mean he was paid he was on set with his trainer like he was a part of the show he's in the credits like so it'd be great if they also added Eddie and um, Marty Crane in it as well but absolutely it would just be a disaster just with Frasier I'm sorry people would tune in probably for the first show to be like how in the world are they going to do this but there's no way you it would just be disappointing you'd be like where's Niles where's Daphne where's Roz where's where's the dog where's the bulldog where's somewhere (laughs) you know oh bulldog's another character I'd love to see again but um yeah so according again to this Nerdist news clip they said that that was the original pitch. However, probably after some market research and somebody told them about themselves, they decided to add in the cast. So we believe that this reboot will now include all members that were, well, maybe not all, but the main cast members, which were um, Daphne, Niles, obviously Frazier, Oh, the father who's no longer with us. And the dog who's no longer with us. So, yes. And whether they're going to, like Kelsey was saying in the interview, like whether Frazier is going to be... um, Oh, yeah, that was actually later in the interview. Frazier says he could find himself... Or Frazier says, Kelsey said that Frazier could find himself in Chicago, reminding us that that's where the series finale ended. And he said that when James Corden asked Kelsey Grammer if Frazier would still be doing the radio show, when he said he's passed the radio show, he'd be an art dealer, he might be a professor, we don't know yet. So they're still developing what exactly the whole storyline would be. But what seemed to be very, you know, sure in the small interview that they had was that it will be an act three and it will not be a continuation of where things left off. So that will be very interesting. It will have to be extremely well written for you to like completely you know, take on something totally new, but it's not impossible, but I can tell you, I'm definitely looking forward to it and people are too. So I just wanted to read some of the comments that were left on some of these, uh, interviews that talked about the reboot. Um, I just want some tossed salad and scrambled eggs. Someone wrote, Frasier was one of the all-time best sitcoms. I just rewatched the series this year. That's what I'm talking about. No point in watching if Niall isn't in it. I agree with you, Mohammed W. One of the best shows ever. Looking forward to it. Hopefully they do a great job remembering their dad. I know, I agree with you, Cochise Hart. They have to do Marty Crane right. They have to. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Crane, your glockenspiel has sprung to life. Oh, that was Daphne's line. 
Oh, oh, oh Frazier. That's right, Robert's video madness. Dr. Frazier Crane will have been the host of a famous podcast who is on the verge of releasing his latest advice book when he gets me tooed by a string of former clients he saw during his time in Boston, the Cheers era. This will be the new show premise. Okay, Atomic Brain 9401. I like the way you're going with this. Now that sounds juicy and I might tune into that. Okay. Would be nice if he went back to Cheers. Hmm. Bashi the Critic. That's an interesting premise. I always like the episodes where, you know, the one where Sam came back and then they had some reunion, you know, they had a retirement party for one of those. So going back to Cheers might be interesting. And if they didn't back, bring back anyone except Kelsey, I doubt anyone would watch it. Sharp design. Two snaps for that. I agree with you right there. Let's read a couple more. I could read these all day, but the segment has got to wrap up soon. But let's see. Let's read a couple more here. I can see him as a Twitch streamer playing games and answering Twitch chats questions like the radio call-in show. Okay, that only got two thumbs up, but okay. I'll have to find out what Twitch streaming is. Anyway, <laughs> Nyx the Dark Phoenix says, Thank you, dear universe. Many, many emojis with smiley faces and praying hands. Dream come true. I want to hug Kelsey Grammer. Saw him sing on stage once back when I was a kid and didn't realize I would end up watching a series with him in it and become such a huge fan. Oh, that's so cool. Right on. And the last one here. I'm watching reruns right now. Roz better be there with an angry face next to it. I hear you. Even though Roz wasn't like my favorite character, she definitely brought some spice to the show. Oh, and little Frasier fact that I found out. Do you know that Lisa Kudrow from Friends, Phoebe, the character from Friends, was the original thought for the Roz character. However, after she read for the part, the producers and the writers thought that she was not like combative enough and that character needed to be like more in Frasier's like face. And that Lisa Kudrow, I guess they perceived her as not as feisty, which I totally disagree. I think Lisa Kudrow could have done a Roz character really well. I mean, Phoebe had that like, that's the only reason why I liked Friends. I'm not a Friends fan by any stretch, but I did watch the show occasionally. And when I did, it was because of Phoebe. So anyway, but yes, Roz, Niles, Daphne have to be a part of this reboot. So we will be watching with bated breath to see how they pull it off. And feel free in the comment section to post your favorite Frasier file or Crane file memories. And we'll look forward to go over the, with those with our staff. And when we do, we'll definitely be doing a follow-up on Frasier when it actually airs. So we'll be sharing those things uh, with you on the air. So we'll leave you out with one of my favorite moments from Frazier. 
Special thanks to our not-for-profit expert, Daria. Also, a very special thanks to the studio team at 1515 Broadway. Most important of all, I thank you so much for listening. And if you don't want to miss the next episodes, you've got to follow us on social media and join our mailing list. We leave our sources and links that I referenced during the show on our blog post, so stay tuned for that. And also, if you're a political or pop culture expert and you'd like to be interviewed on our show, please feel free to drop us a line at info at Although there is a lot of negative things permeating our world today, I come from a belief that there is one entity that can eliminate the onslaught of deception, fear, and despair that people are feeling right now. And that one entity is love. There is no greater action towards another human being than to love your neighbor as yourself. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it isn't proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And the amazing aspect about love is that it never fails, never. So let's put a little love in our hearts and invest in people over profit. Let's do it. And we're gonna play you out to the iconic song that has been covered by the greatest musicians that have ever lived. Put a Little Love in Your Heart by Jackie DeShannon, who I think is a songwriting legend. I will leave the link to the lyrics in the blog post so that you can look at them because she was not just dropping sweet soulful notes she was giving us clues on how to change the world and move us forward and not back Pause of Naco.